people in the world who have not been able to enjoy freedom in their lifetimes it is going to be maybe the single most transformative thing for people who yearn to be free. Cash will uh, continue to be short money and that Bitcoin will be more prevalent as long money. So people who have a time preference that allows them to wait and save and be patient will benefit by using Bitcoin and people that are engaged in activities that require instant gratification will be more involved in, in fiat currency. We're racing the race car at 200 miles an hour right towards hitting the wall. Bitcoin is freedom money and I feel like freedom money belongs in America. I'm with you. Awesome. Amen. This podcast is entertainment, not financial tax or legal advice. Views expressed represent statements of the speaker in their individual capacity, do not represent the views of Unchained, and should not be considered investment advice. Speakers often have personal family or business connections to Unchained, which may include direct financial benefits. Please see our disclosure at unchained.com slash podcast. Senator, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to sit down with us. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you tweeted recently that the U.S. national debt is one of the most concerning national security issues. How do we as a nation fix this? <laughs> um, I, I, I've been sounding that alarm for a long time. Uh, so have many others, but not enough. Um, so s spending ramped up tremendously during COVID uh, to try to get through that crisis. Uh, the problem is we didn't ramp down spending after crisis. So we have kept the base of spending very high post-COVID, and it just keeps growing from there. Now, this is going to be a long-time concern because along with that happening, spending increasing without justification for it, uh, our interest payments on the debt uh, were run up pretty high uh, when some of the low-interest bonds and securities matured because now they're being uh, refinanced at higher interest rates, which means the American taxpayer has to pay more uh, to finance the same debt that we continue to carry on the books. So you have higher spending plus a higher obligation uh, for debt payments. Uh, so now we're spending over $650 billion dollars uh, on interest payments on the national debt. That's what we pay first before other spending. Of course, then we pay Social Security and Medicare, both of which are on an unsustainable path. They're both going to be insolvent uh, within the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, I know this sounds gloomy and bleak, and it's because it's gloomy and bleak. Uh, we're, we've also increased uh, what's called discretionary spending uh, over a trillion dollars um, and uh, over what it was during COVID. So facing uh, spending for a war in Ukraine, spending to support Israel, spending to support uh, a possible invasion of Taiwan, uh, on top of all these other things at a time when interest rates are high and Americans' pocketbooks are strained by the cost of gasoline, rent, automobiles, food, um, it, it is a scenario uh, that's just crying for a solution. The solution may not be out there because we have uh, 
two candidates for president, one being uh, current President Biden and the likely Republican nominee, uh, former President Trump, both saying they don't want to touch entitlements. So there's no, there's not much place to go. And honestly, I got to say, it's one of the reasons that I am so grateful uh, that decentralized finance, that Bitcoin came along, uh, because we actually may need an alternative to the U.S. dollar. Um, and I hate to say it, uh, I'm pe pessimistic that the Congress has the gumption uh, to fix it. And when you ask members of the U.S. Senate um, why they don't think we should spend a lot of time trying to fix it, if neither candidate for president, the sitting one, nor the, um, the former president are willing to address entitlements, it's, it, it's unfixable. At that point, uh, we're racing the race car at 200 miles an hour right towards hitting the wall. And n nobody that I um, can find in, in great number is willing to take their foot off the gas, even knowing we're going to hit the wall. So it's a pretty scary scenario for fiscal conservatives in Washington. Yeah, I definitely agree. It does seem very gloomy and bleak. So like if 10 years go by or 20 years go by and we, we can't fix it, you know, how bad is it going to be? Like what, what might happen in your opinion? Well, um, Social Security, if we do nothing, uh, will hit the point where it's insolvent. It will, uh, Social Security benefits will drop by about 25% the first year and then continue to go down from there. Mm. Uh, that will create uh, a demand among people who are on Social Security to uh, prop it up, augment it uh, with general fund revenues, general fund revenues that we don't have. So that'll create a big tension. Um, so people who are currently on Social Security or will be on Social Security probably within the next 15 years really need to focus on additional savings. Then Medicare um, it is going to go broke, be insolvent before even Social Security. That's a harder one to fix. Uh, and so I think that there will be more um, emphasis in Congress to exercise uh, price controls on medical costs to keep them down uh, rather than um, spending more tax dollars that we don't have uh, to prop up uh, Medicare. Medicaid will be highly at risk. Um, that is a program that's mostly administered by states, healthcare uh, for low-income people. And it will be at risk because I think the um, funding for it will shift from the federal government to the states in larger part. Right now, it's a, uh, the states pay some and the federal government pays more. Um, that will flip in the years to come. States will be required to pay more for um, health care for the poor. Um, and other entitlement programs will be at risk, too. So it's going to get ugly. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm so hopeful that people will consider uh, Bitcoin, which is a store of value and will become more common as a means of exchange in the future, will become part of their uh, investment portfolio. 
uh, because we're going to need non-U.S. dollar-denominated stores of value uh, to augment our savings uh, in the event that things get so out of control that it's irreparable. Yeah, it's great to hear that you're such a large proponent of Bitcoin. I think that's that's awesome. Um, one thing that's cool about Bitcoin is you can self-custody it. You can hold it yourself. Do you think that self-custodying Bitcoin is like a fundamental right for all Americans? I absolutely do. Uh, it's freedom money. Uh, it is something that you can own, and keep for yourself. That is, uh, as you say, uh, self-custody. Uh, but you don't have to lay awake at night worrying that uh, someone is going to uh, steal it from you. It's very secure. Uh, you don't have to pay taxes on it. You don't have to buy insurance on it. You don't have to pay maintenance on it. It's not like a, a house or a building that uh, uh, is in need of repair and you have to pay taxes on uh, just for the privilege of owning it. Uh, this is an asset that is, I think, going to, especially for people, say, 45 and under, uh, become a really important part uh, of their retirement savings, of their investment portfolios, uh, and uh, eventually become a much bigger part of just how they transact business every day. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you said about Social Security, I. Every dollar that I pay into Social Security, I don't think I'll ever get back, unfortunately. So Bitcoin kind of is like a new form of savings that I hope will help me be able to retire one day. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting who knows that and who believes that and who doesn't. Um, people who are embedded in traditional finance uh, still have a lot of confidence that uh, we would never let the nation get this far gone. Um, but serving in the House for eight years and now serving in the Senate, um, I just disagree. I think we're at very serious risk that we will get it wrong, uh, that we will uh, let some of these uh, more dire uh, consequences of failing to address it sooner uh, happen. And so by all means, everybody who's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, should uh, invest in Bitcoin uh, as uh, part of a diversified asset allocation. You know, I don't think anybody should keep all their eggs in one basket. I certainly don't. You know, I have some stocks and some bonds, and some are uh, large cap and small cap. I have some international equities. Um, and it's, it's just a good way to have a diversified asset allocation. But having a component of your retirement savings in Bitcoin is going to be crucial going forward. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that uh, traditional finance companies like uh, Fidelity and uh, BlackRock uh, are rumored to be applying soon for Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, they are traditional companies. Uh, using uh, an exchange-traded fund concept uh, to embed Bitcoin into uh, retirement savings for people who are nervous about having a private wallet mm -hmm. and holding Bitcoin um, themselves. Uh, and uh, I, I think that this is going to be a good way to start encouraging 
uh, people that are uh, in their uh, late 40s, 50s, and 60s and older to get exposure to Bitcoin through a traditional finance mechanism uh, like an exchange-traded fund. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the budget, you talked about how it's just so gloomy right now. Is there any hope that one day we might be able to run a balanced budget or is like that just completely off the cards? Like you think that there's no chance? Well, I think there is a chance. Okay. There, there are people in Congress who can show you on paper how it can be done. In fact, uh, right now I think we're, uh, our, our budget, uh, the, the one that the Senate has pr proposed and is using, um, is $2 trillion more money than we take in in revenue. But if we just went back to the 2019 budget levels, mm -hmm. that would shave a, a trillion dollars off. Um, so that alone cuts uh, our our deficit uh, in half, um, and then there are mechanisms to even uh, close get that gap even further. So there are people that can show how it can be done. It's just that the appetite isn't there to do it, and I'm as shocked as you are. I we had a conversation in the in, in the Senate this week about putting together another uh, type debt type commission to so show some of the ways that this can be done, how that uh, $2 trillion gap can not only go to $1 trillion, but can go down to zero. Mm -hmm. And I was so surprised at the response. Um, members were saying, well, if neither presidential candidate in 2024 has the appetite to do it, let's not waste a bunch of time on it. They're not wrong. I mean, that's a very realistic response, but it's also, I fear, a really irresponsible response. I mean, we need to convince Joe Biden and Donald Trump that this is a real problem for our country. Yeah. Going back to Bitcoin and the U.S., how do you want to see the U.S. approach their view on, on Bitcoin over the next 10 years? Well, I strongly believe that uh, Bitcoin is going to be uh, the digital asset that is the store of value, the means of exchange, the commodity that takes a place, its place next to gold, that it becomes digital gold, that everybody knows it's digital gold, uh, and that it is both a, a store of value and a means of exchange and is used much more ubiquitously, uh, even by consumers. Uh, we know that it releases the friction in the system uh, in terms of allowing uh, transactions to settle faster and cheaper. And that's gonna be one of its huge virtues uh, in the commercial world. Um, it's not, I think, what individuals concentrate on uh, that transactions are settled faster and cheaper, but they should be. And uh, as it becomes more commonly known that through Bitcoin, you can have all three of these things, a faster and cheaper settlement, a store of value, a means of exchange, uh, it becomes just so, so much more utilitarian within the U.S. economy and the global economy that uh, it, it will be the emergent uh, means of exchange. You know, <laughs> it's interesting to see how the US dollar, the paper dollar, 
is becoming far less accepted as a means of exchange. I went to a a hotel the other day, uh, tried to pay for my coffee with a $20 bill. They said, we don't take cash. Our National Park Service does not take cash Hmm. to get into national parks. This is a government agency. And a, a government agency, our national parks, does not take cash to get into national parks. Um, that indicates just how old-fashioned, um, good old-fashioned cash has become. And uh, the people will start realizing that um, cash is not king. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, do you think others in the Senate, like your peers, others, other senators, do they, like, understand Bitcoin? Or are they starting to understand Bitcoin more or or not really? Are they still maybe behind the curve a little bit? We were making progress. Uh, when I first arrived, it was very clear that very few people knew what it was. And those who did were extremely skeptical. Um, so uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of, uh, excuse me, Senator Kirsten Cinema of Arizona and I uh, created a financial innovation caucus it still meets. We have really good speakers come in to try to explain um, the use of blockchains, the existence of companies like Chainalysis that can uh, identify crimes committed with Bitcoin, um, companies that are doing very innovative things uh, with regard to mining Bitcoin in a way that uh, sort of balances um, uh, utility uh, highs and lows. Um, the, 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 almost endless. What is mining? Uh, what is a commodity versus a, a, a security when Bitcoin is part of the equation? All of these things. We, and we have great speakers come in. Mostly it's the staffers who attend, but that's really important because they're educating their bosses. So that's been successful, but we've had two big setbacks. Uh, Senator Gillibrand and I, of course, have the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, which is the comprehensive framework uh, for the U.S. government to deal with digital assets. Uh, It creates uh, and acknowledges the existence of stablecoin, of digital assets that are commodities, digital assets that are securities, uh, the entities like custody services, and how um, digital assets will be treated under their jurisdiction. Uh, CDBCs, um, it's it's a very comprehensive piece of legislation. And we uh, have already moved the part uh, from our bill on illicit finance. But we had two setbacks. One was the series of failures that led up to FTX's failure. So too many members of the Senate were conflating uh, digital assets with the company FTX. They weren't saying that you can commit fraud, you know, with yachts, with yeah. fiat currency, with gold, with art, um, and uh, it doesn't take digital assets to make a colossal fraud. Um, in fact, um, I think that the verdict in the FTX case has helped illustrate that. So that was a big setback. So then we were finally recovering from that. And then recently, we have seen uh, Tether and Binance and other companies, um, uh, platforms associated with um, funneling uh, cryptocurrencies to Hamas. And uh, October 7th, 
uh, was was just such a jarring day for the world in terms of just how barbaric people can be towards each other. Uh, that helping fund a terror organization that you know decapitates babies and puts them in ovens until they burn to death. Uh, you know, rapes people until their pelvises break. I mean, the the things we've seen are just so incomprehensible uh, that anyone who would be complicitous in helping fund that kind of barbarism uh, is um, is on our radar screen, uh, including Binance and Tether. So um, I'm really pleased that Senator Gillibrand and I were able to get language on uh, ferreting out illicit finance uses of digital assets into the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, we did that last summer. Uh, the House uh, needs to incorporate the illicit finance language that's in the Senate bill into the final bill that passes both houses. And I think we'll be successful. Nice. Very cool. I'm curious, how do you envision Bitcoin and the dollar evolving together over the next 10 years or so? Like Bitcoin is this hard, scarce money that may, you know, designed arguably to go up in value, whereas the dollar is this, you know, loose, easy money that's designed to debase against, you know, the basic consumer goods that we all need every day. <laughs> how do you see that, you know, juxtaposition? Yeah, I think that uh, cash will uh, continue to be short money and that Bitcoin will be more prevalent as long money. Uh, so people who have a time preference that allows them to wait and save and be patient uh, will benefit by uh, using Bitcoin. And people that are engaged in activities that require instant gratification uh, will be more involved in, in fiat currency. Now, how that will play in the bigger financial markets, uh, U.S. Treasuries, um, stock, uh, stocks, uh, and and uh, non-government bond markets, uh, fixed income markets. I don't know. I don't know. I also wonder how it's going to play um, within uh, the reserve uh, funds of the world. You know, the U.S. dollar is the the reserve currency. Uh, but, you know, with the rise of China and the yuan and other currencies that want to compete for a role uh, within uh, the reserve currencies of the world, uh, with um, the potential for oil to uh, be sold and bought, denominated not in U.S. dollars but in other currencies, really may change what constitutes uh, the world reserve currency. We may go to a basket of currencies for, as the world reserve currency. And if that happens, I am absolutely certain that Bitcoin will be among them and perhaps dominant among them. So um, these are times of great disruption uh, as we move from the industrial age to the um, information age. And these kind of disruptions are going to happen, I think, more quickly than people my age like to realize because we're just starting to grasp what this is all about. And, you know, sometimes when you can't grasp it, you just think, well, hopefully I won't be around when this becomes ubiquitous part of our everyday life. Um, I think that even people my age are, are going to live to see the day when this is a ubiquitous part of everyday life. 
it is crazy how fast it is happening. I mean, Bitcoin's what, you know, 15 years old and it's already, you know, a very important global asset now. It's crazy. Um, you mentioned earlier that Bitcoin, you know, could be more, used more as a payments technology. And I know some people have talked about the de minimis rule where capital gains below a certain threshold of spending a certain amount of Bitcoin may be that you may not have to pay capital gains on it. Is that something that could happen, you know, sometime in the future within the U.S. where if you are buying a coffee for Bitcoin for five dollars, you, you may not need to pay capital gains or capital losses on it? Or It, it absolutely should be that way. And I'm for a higher threshold uh, it, against U.S. dollars as the de minimis amount. Some people want a lower threshold. Uh, but I, I think it's important that that be a, a component of uh federal regulation of the interaction of uh, the U.S. dollar economy uh, with the Bitcoin economy. Do you think that that can really spark Bitcoin payments for the entire industry? Well, I hope it does, because once again, I um, the, the faster and cheaper settling of transactions uh, is going to make, it'll, it'll be kind of a game changer, especially for merchants, people who are sellers, as opposed to buyers of goods and services. Um, and so I hope it does. I love it. Awesome. Well, Senator, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and we really enjoyed it. I enjoy being with you. I, I enjoy hearing about the um, amazing transformations that are occurring. Every year I'm around Bitcoiners and miners and core developers and now moving into the Web3 economy, learning more about artificial intelligence, how these things integrate with each other. Uh, the more I see uh, the amazing world that people you are, got, your age are entering and the amazing world that, um, that I will see in my rearview mirror as I get older, uh, it's going to be fascinating. And uh, it's just so important that these technologies be allowed to uh, grow and be nurtured in the United States because um, they are assets that thrive in freedom-loving economies, and they will allow people who are not in freedom-loving economies to en enjoy a sense of freedom, uh, to to be that sovereign individual, even within uh, a geographic area that is uh, gives one no sovereignty. So uh, the opportunities that are provided. Uh, by Bitcoin uh, in particular, I think, for people in the world who uh, have not been able to enjoy freedom in their lifetimes uh, is going to be maybe the single most transformative thing uh, for, for people who yearn to be free. So uh, thanks for letting me be on your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, Bitcoin is freedom money, and I feel like freedom money belongs in America. I'm with you. Awesome. Amen. <laughs>